Today's guest is the predominantly plant-based mama, Whitney English. Whitney is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, certified personal trainer, and a mama of two little ones, ages six months and two years. She's the creator of the media platform Whitney ERD, where she serves up the scoop on food and fitness trends, and the co-creator of Plant-Based Juniors, an online destination for all parents looking to get more plants on the plate. Whitney earned her master's degree in nutrition, health span, and longevity, and completed her internship at the University of Southern California's Norris Cancer Center and Keck Medical Center, as well as the Breathe Healing Life Center. Her experience working in cancer research fueled her curiosity for using food and fitness to promote lasting health benefits and helped shape her predominantly plant-based philosophy. Whitney is also the co-author of The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler, which is a book coming out next Tuesday, May 18th. I just pre-ordered my copy, so make sure to head on over to the show notes for all the links. They're offering some amazing pre-order bonuses if you buy a copy before next Tuesday. In this episode, Whitney debunks some of the top myths surrounding plant-based eating using her evidence-based research, while also sharing strategies on how to get your babies, toddlers, and kids to eat a predominantly plant-based diet. She also talks about plant-based nutrition during pregnancy and shared insight into the three-day water fast she completed to help with cell regeneration, also known as autophagy, and longevity. Even if you're an omnivore or recovering paleo eater like myself, her tips helped inspire me to find ways to get more veggies into my kids' meals, and it's also piqued my interest in the studies behind fasting and longevity, and I really want to try that three-day water fast now that I'm finally not breastfeeding or pregnant. So whether or not you're plant-based curious or wondering how to get your kids to eat a little more greens, listen in to some of Whitney's helpful tips and strategies. Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, Mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today, I'm excited to bring to you Whitney English. Whitney is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, certified personal trainer, and a mom of two. She's the creator of the media platform Whitney English RD and co-creator of Plant-Based Juniors, an online destination for all parents looking to get more plants on the plate. She's also the co-author of The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler coming out this May. And I'm excited to bring to you today, Whitney, because I've also known her for years and years back in the day because her husband went to college with me. So welcome, Whitney. Thank you, Stephanie. I know it's so funny. It all comes full circle, right? (laughs) I love seeing like your journey to date because I mean, I think I met you in your early twenties and then now to see you now as a mom of two, it's incredible. But I was I probably just... a much different person when you met me back then. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was a much different person too. Yes. So I love watching us as moms. No judgment. <laughs> I know. But I want to start by asking, what is your biggest mom win of the week? Ooh, 
Well, so we just moved my son to a toddler bed and my daughter to a crib. She was in her bassinet. She's about four months. My son is two months shy of, of three years old. So I think it may have been a little soon to do it. And last night he didn't get out of bed or this morning, he didn't get out of bed till 6.30 when the previous few days he had been getting out of bed around 4.55. So I was, call that a win. <laughs> I think it is too. Was he climbing out of his crib or anything or why did you switch him? Oh, I can't even tell you. He started climbing out of his crib around two years, three months. And so we put him back in a sleep sack as our, it was kind of like our straight jacket way of keeping him in his crib. Cause then he couldn't climb when he was in sleep sack. But then we just finally decided we needed the crib for, for our daughter, Ella. And we didn't want to have to buy, have two cribs. So we were like, he's ready. But it's been, it's been a transition, as I'm sure most parents know who have done it. <laughs> we literally just did that last weekend. So I'm like, mm-hmm. but it's so interesting to see the difference between each kid. So we did the same thing because we needed the crib for the next baby. And so yeah. when our oldest, when we needed to take away his crib and put him in a toddler bed, he got out of bed all the time. And we would mm-hmm. have to walk him back to his room, walk mm-hmm. him back. We changed our daughter this weekend and she like calls us in the morning. She's like, mommy, mommy. (laughs) And I'm like, you can get out of bed. You know, that little opening right there, just climb out. And she's like, mommy. So she doesn't, but who knows? Every kid is different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why I was very optimistic thinking he was going to love his toddler bed so much. It was just going to be an immediate benefit. And it's, it it was not, I I should have expected it being a little bit challenging. He's been, he's been challenging with most, most things along the way. Very sweet, very curious and and bright, but not always the most compliant. (laughs) I think that's also sometimes boys. No, that's what I was going to say. I was like, is it a boy thing? All my, all my friends with boys too, who have transitioned to the toddler bed, they're like, oh yeah, it took about a month of literally sitting outside his door every night. Yeah. And I think also being the firstborn and stuff, instead of like seeing an older sibling, like on how they do Mm. things, like he's exploring and he's learning. So it'll, I promise you, it'll get better. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, this morning was like the sun starting to come up. I'm like, all right, I think things are, things are on the upswing. (laughs) Yeah. So on that note, what does your family structure look like? Ages of your kids? What does your day-to-day look like behind the scenes right now? Yeah. So it's me and my husband. We are both working from home. He's a lawyer. So he's pretty much on his computer and on phone calls all day long. Both of us kind of need a workstation. So that's a little challenging. And then we've got our three, almost three-year-old son, four-month-old daughter. And then my husband's parents, my mother-in-law and father-in-law are our primary childcare or our only childcare. (laughs) We were very lucky that when I had my son, my mother-in-law was retiring around the same time. They're from Northern California. We live in Los Angeles. And she basically said like, I want to be a grandma full time. That's what I want to do. And so she moved down here. They live about a mile away and they come over four to five days a week and they help out with the kids while we work. So we are very, very blessed to have this situation, especially because it wasn't impacted by COVID because they just joined our bubble. And, you know, the, the six of us now just kind of have been keeping to ourselves for the past right. year. Year, Yeah. So are you, is she also watching your little one, the baby, or are you still kind of playing, playing the nap time shuffle? 
Yeah, definitely still the nap time shuffle. I'm breastfeeding. And so, at, you know, I'm there from every nap to feed her. I help out put, putting down for the naps. I'm helping out with lunch. So I'm very, very involved as well. And now it's not just my mother-in-law, my father-in-law comes too, so that they can each kind of have a child when me and my husband are working. Yeah. My daughter wouldn't take a bottle until I think it was last week. She took one for the first time. So I feel like I'm going to start getting a little bit more freedom, but again, that's probably one of the, how COVID has been somewhat of a blessing to us is that I haven't actually needed to really be away from the house anyway. So while it is hard to get work done, even if I didn't have to be stepping away all the time, just simply for the fact of not having anywhere to do it or and having lots of noise in the other room, it's nice that I can be here and help out. Are you finding pockets of time to do things for yourself? And if so, because I know you're a big health and nutrition, we'll talk about all <laughs> of that and really into fitness. Do you have any wellness practices that you do daily and that you are able to do for yourself to make sure you are mentally sane? Well, I always have coffee. So there's that. That's the one thing that like never gets bumped from the schedule. It's challenging. Yeah. It really depends on how my day is stacked. Ideally, I, and how I used to operate was I would start my day with a workout at least, at least about four to five days a week. I would go, go and do a fitness class. And I love doing that. Obviously haven't done that since COVID, but now at least I try to make time to do like a 30 minute workout video from home. And sometimes my husband will join me if, if there's time, but you know, it's, I I try to prioritize it, but as you know, you know, the, the more kids you get, the more, the more chaos there is, the more your schedule just is not, it's not easy to stick to a routine. But as my daughter's starting to get older, I feel like in the past few weeks, I've been get I've been finding a groove a little bit better. So I try to wake up and get them going for the day, get my son his breakfast. And then I'll try to do a little video either right when my mother-in-law arrives, or sometimes we'll do it with the kids. That's always <laughs> interesting. My son likes to pick up my little two pound pink weights that I bought a million years ago. And I <laughs> used to do very like more cardio kind of workouts and he'll get in on the action. So, you know, just try to fit it in. I try to take calls. If I have long calls, I'll try to take them on a walk around the neighborhood. So I'm moving my body, but yeah, it's, it's challenging. Like I had, I, I got a haircut last week, like last week or the week before. And that was the first haircut I'd gotten in, I think a year and a half. Wow. I'm kind of low maintenance. So, and my, my hairstylist can't stand this about me because every time I come in, she's like, your hair is just a nightmare. It's like literally a rat's nest. And she's like, you've got to get your hair cut more often. So I go in for trims probably every six months anyway. So I hadn't been in for so long and then COVID hit. So it had actually probably been about a year and a half. My hair was, we're on video, even though I I don't think everyone else will see it, but it was like down to here. It was so, so long. Wow. (laughs) But yeah, that's something I want to get better about. My husband asked me this weekend, he was like, what's like one thing, if you could take an hour every week to just go do something for you, what would you do? I was like, I don't know. I have to think about it. Maybe a bath, (laughs) maybe bath, maybe go get my nails done or something. 
My husband I, asked me the same thing. He's like, yeah. because at one point, I think I hit it around the six month mark post my third kid. And I was just miserable and he would be able to go to golf every weekend <laughs> and I would complain, but he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, yeah. I have no idea. So it's really figuring out like, mm-hmm. what do I want to do in that time? But mm-hmm. sometimes I have no idea. So I I'm know here, yeah. if you think like the mom brain is just, yeah, I, I don't have any good ideas. I'm sorry. It's like the second you get free time. I, and I feel like this is the same way for a lot of moms. My friends I talk to, you just end up using that time, not doing, not doing me time, like doing something else, like something on your long list. You're like, Oh, it's me time. I'm going to scrapbook for my daughter. Like, you know, I ended up playing like Disney emoji or something on my phone or scrolling Instagram. And I'm like, that was a waste. I should work out. I'm going to watch a really, really bad reality show. Yes. Maybe that is good for your mental health just to zone out for like an hour. Right. Well, it's funny that you were talking about like your hair and how you're really low maintenance. When I remember back in the day, your job was actually to be on camera at, for E! News and in front of celebrities. So can we go back and talk a little bit about your journey? So we know kind of how you got to being a nutritionist and all of this after being on E! News. Yeah. So my, my first job, I got my undergraduate degree in broadcast journalism and moved out to Los Angeles right after college to work at E! And it was such a fun job. We got to go to so many cool places and interview so many interesting people and just a really cool thing to get to do in your early twenties and to learn more about Los Angeles and Hollywood. Not very sustainable though. You know, (laughs) I think I I couldn't imagine right now as a mom with two kids having to go out to, well, I wouldn't be doing it anyway with COVID, but pre-COVID having to go out to clubs and being out late in Hollywood till midnight every night, just not something I'd want to be doing now, as you probably know as well from your your previous career. I'd like to be asleep by then. (laughs) Right? I'm like, when these parties are starting, I'm usually already in bed. So yeah, so I started out as an entertainment reporter at E! News. I was there for about three years. I also did my my internship there when I was still in college with Ryan Seacrest in, in his department. And then after she, after E, I moved to another entertainment outlet called sheknows.com, which is a women's lifestyle website, continued doing celebrity reporting there. I was the main correspondent for movie junkets. So that was really fun. I got to, again, travel all over the country, interview celebrities on their, on movie sets and just a really cool experience. However, like, like I said before, it, it was a grind. And on top of that, more and more, I was just seeing that it wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't what I was interested in doing. I was always very personally passionate about nutrition and fitness. I had grown up in a family that was really interested in nutrition. My grandfather owns athletic clubs. My, my dad played professional sports. My mom, I used to call the fruit and veggie police. So I was always surrounded by it. I played a lot of sports growing up and that was just where my interests lie. So whenever I would be interviewing celebrities, I'd be constantly trying to steer the conversation that direction. I'd be like, what do you do to work out? Do you follow a kind of diet? What's your favorite recipe? And specifically at my job at She Knows, they were kind of like, okay, 
enough of those questions. You need to be asking about celebrity gossip. I want to know why they broke up. I want to know, you know, are, is she having a baby? And it just, it just didn't fit. It wasn't feeling good. And eventually I got laid off. And it was at that point when I kind of had to make this decision. I, I had to ask myself, do I want to continue on this route of this job that I'm only kind of so-so about? Like, I love the reporting aspect of it, but I just didn't love the content. And that was when I decided to go back to school. And I would say my husband was a big factor in that. He was my boyfriend at the time, but he pushed me and he said, because what was holding me back was the time it was going to take. I, like I said, I got my undergraduate degree in broadcast journalism, meaning I had no science under my belt. And I would have to take at least 10 different prereqs to even get into a nutrition program. And then from there, it would be two to three years in the program before I could become a registered dietitian. So even though I kind of knew before I left my job that that's what I wanted to do. I just never thought it was a real possibility because I was like, I'm not going to go back to school for like five years. That's just, that's not in the cards for me. And then at that point it was like, oh, maybe maybe it is in the cards for me. My husband said the time's going to pass anyway. So you might as well do it, go for it. And, and I did, and I took my prereqs at a community college at different community colleges here in LA. And then I got into university of Southern California and did my master's there in the nutrition health span and longevity program and became a dietitian. And that was, I think in 2017, and okay. yeah, so I've been and then a you had your kid. About four years now. <laughs> and then, yeah, like, so much has changed. And then, and then I had my, I actually got pregnant with my son, I think the summer after I graduated. And during that time, I connected with another dietitian who had also just had a kid who also following a, a mostly plant-based diet. And we came together and said, you know, there really isn't any credible nutrition outlets out there or people at no, no registered dietitians that we know that have written books or have a good website to go to where we can learn about tips for raising plant-based kids. So we were kind of swapping information back and forth while we were pregnant and while we were raising our sons. And we said, we, should, we need to share this with the world. So we created the Instagram account, plant-based juniors, and it kind of took off from there. And then we got a book deal and that's where we are today. That's amazing. And so like this that was, all, all, was a lot to pack into what happened well, over the past 10 years. <laughs> I was going to ask is like, primarily you were starting off on, you know, nutrition for adults, not necessarily kids, but really having the kid change things and your pregnancy. What made you decide like, I'm just going to like, you know, keep going and focusing on this versus what you were studying, which was on like aging and longevity and all of that. You know, are you still doing both? Like, how are you like, have the capacity for it? Yeah, I really don't. <laughs> so I, I think, so I, like you said, when you introduced me, I have my two different platforms. I have Whitney ERD, which is basically nutrition information, advice, recipes geared towards the prevention of chronic diseases for adults. And then I have plant-based juniors, which I started with the other dietitian, Alex Caspero, and that's really geared towards nutrition for kids, specifically trying to get more plants on the plate. And I think my energy towards both ebbs and flows based on when projects come up right now, you know, we have this book for plant-based juniors. So all of my mental energy is going to that and kind of Whitney ERDs on the back burner, just kind of slowly chugging along. <laughs> and then when, when things come up that are more adult nutrition focused, you know, I've been uh, recently, I just 
signed a deal to work with my fitness pal to do all of their nutrition education videos. So once the book dies down, I'll probably start focusing more on that. So it kind of just goes back and forth. And then it also really depends on where I'm at in my life. So basically the past three years, you know, I've been pregnant or I've been feeding kids. So that's, what's on my brain all the time. That's what I want to write about. That's what I want to talk about. So even though Whitney ARD is supposed to be more about adults information in in regards to women and their different stages and children really gets infused over there as well. So like last week's blog post on Whitney ARD was on seed cycling for fertility and hormonal balance. And, you know, that's, I feel like there's a lot of overlap on my platforms. Got it. And so I I guess kind of bust this myth for me because I, you know, when I hear plant-based and I know you're predominantly plant-based, so you still eat some dairy and things here and there, but a lot of, you know, pregnant women or breastfeeding women, or even like kids, they say like, oh, you have to give them protein. You have to give them meat. You have to give them whatnot. Like, oh, you can't be pregnant and not getting enough iron or stuff. If you're not eating like red meat or whatever that is. And so I know plant-based and veganism gets a bad rep, especially for mothers and that. So Tell me a little bit about why it's not. Sure. Okay. I feel like there's so many myths wrapped up in that. (laughs) Maybe the top three that like you, you you say over and over again. Yeah. You like rattled (laughs) off the top three. So I'm going to hit those. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Cause I love how you do evidence-based like yours is actual scientific data. You're not fluffy about it. So give me the, give me the hard details. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll start off by kind of defining predominantly plant-based and that's basically, I coined that term. And it's reflective of the fact that I'm an evidence-based dietitian. What we know about plant-based diets is that in general, the more plants you eat, the better. Plant-based diets of all types, whether that be vegan, vegetarian, flexitarian, pescatarian, are all associated with lower rates of chronic disease than a traditional omnivorous or Western diet. So what that tells us is that... you don't necessarily have to be, it doesn't have to be black and white. You don't have to go completely vegan to reap the health benefits of a plant-based diet. Additionally, at the end of the day, there are no, what we call randomized controlled trials of diets and a randomized controlled trial is basically when you take two groups of people, you assign them two different diets, and then you watch them and you see the health outcomes. And in order, we just don't have ethically or financially the means to do something like that over the course of a lifetime or the time, really the time it hasn't been done. So at the end of the day, we don't have firm, firm scientific research saying there is one, one and only way to eat. This is what you have to do there. It's just not there. We have general ideas about eating patterns and the general idea about eating patterns is the more plants, the better. So that's how predominantly plant-based kind of came to be. On the other hand, we have a lot of scientific research about intuitive eating and intuitive eating is basically listening to your body to guide your food choices, listening to your hunger and fullness cues. And what we know about dieting and restrictive eating patterns is that they often lead to people, it backfires that people often swing from one end of the diet spectrum to another. So I a hundred percent commend anyone who can go, who can go completely vegan, but vegan is an ethical choice. It's not a health. It's not necessarily made for health reasons. People choose to go vegan because they don't like what's happening to animals. And I a hundred percent respect that, but predominantly plant-based is really a paradigm that's based on the nutrition research on health. And for health, we know that we would, I would rather see someone getting more plants in their diet and not 
backsliding to the other end of the spectrum and going like completely paleo and mean like me where I ate like red meat all the time. I think I ate like red meat with eggs and like everything. I was predominantly paleo for a good amount of, for a good amount of time. I mean, I ate my veggies, but not, not as like the number one. Yeah. And so, and that's what we don't want to happen. And that's what can happen when people jump onto a diet, simply uh, thinking that this is the way they have to eat. And if they step out of bounds, then they're off the diet. It's either on or off. And it's, it's not, it's not the best thing for most people long-term. So predominantly plant-based takes into account the health benefits of a plant-based diet with the flexibility that helps most people be able to adhere to this diet long-term and also gives you the freedom, you know, to have a slice of pizza when you go out to dinner with friends to try the local cuisine when you're traveling that may or may not have animal products in it, but then to the most, most of the time to eat a plate full of health promoting plants. So what was the next question? I was going to so say is like, no, means. I know. Like, you know, when you're pregnant and breastfeeding, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, you're not getting enough iron or protein or whatever those things are. What are some of the things I guess that we can eat to make sure that we're getting all of those like nutritions without, without having to supplement a ton of things. Right. Right. So first of all, any nutritious or any complete pregnancy or breastfeeding diet will involve supplementation. If you're not taking supplements, you're likely not meeting your needs. And one of the reasons, let's just take iron, for example, is that your needs during pregnancy for iron are about 27 milligrams a day. Now, in order to meet that strictly through food, I added this up once, you would have to either eat six cups, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways to stack it up, but if you were trying to meet your needs through one food, you would need six cups of black beans, or you would need 33 ounces of sirloin steak. I don't know anyone who's eating either of those things. <laughs> so whether you're on an omnivorous diet or a plant-based diet, you're likely not going to hit that 27 milligram threshold without a supplement. And that's why regardless of your diet, all OBGYNs will make sure that you're taking a prenatal multivitamin. So proper supplementation is key for anyone. But now again, back to the iron issue, if you look at the nutrient composition of, of plant-based foods and compare it to beef, for example, which I think is the biggest one that people say, oh, you could, kids have to eat beef, pregnant women have to eat beef, you're not going to get your iron. Beef and beans actually have very comparable amounts of iron. The difference is that the iron that's found in plants is a little less bioavailable compared to, to that in red meat. And that just means it's harder for our bodies to absorb. But there's a way to get around this. If you pair plant-based sources of iron with a good source of vitamin C, which is found in things like strawberries or bell pepper or citrus, it increases the absorption by three to six times and brings it up to the same level as beef. Oh, and wow. what research shows is that plant-based dieters actually tend to get more iron than people who eat omnivorous diets. And the rates of iron deficiency are actually exactly the same in plant-based dieters and in omnivorous dieters. Iron deficiency is the number one nutrient deficiency for both adults and kids. So it is something that we need to focus on, but it's really not a diet issue I, or it's, it's not a, the type of diet you're following issue. It's a, just a diet in general issue. It's just a, you need to be following an optimal diet, no matter what diet you're following. I actually experienced iron deficiency anemia about three years before I got pregnant when I was still or maybe it was four years when I was actually eating an omnivorous diet. 
And that was back when I ate animal foods and I haven't had a problem with it since even throughout my pregnancy and breastfeeding both pregnancies. So it's a huge myth and it's what I'm hoping to, hoping to dispel. <laughs> but I think but that key point about absorption is important. Cause I think that's what we've in general, not just iron, but in all vitamins, we're like, oh, we take all these vitamins, but if you're not pairing them correctly so that they get absorbed in your body, they just get flushed out. And exactly. I think that's a point is like, I don't know which things to, you know, <laughs> when do I need vitamin D in order to get this? And like, so that's interesting to learn that I could eat strawberries and beans and get more. Yes. Iron. There you go. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just so much. It, it's hard. There's so much to know. And that's why it's really important to have credible nutrition experts out there that you can turn to for this advice. And that's why that's why Alex and I started Plant-Based Juniors. So we actually have our predominantly plant-based pregnancy guide, which is an ebook. I think it's got something like 250 scientific references in there. It is a hefty manual to how to properly nourish yourself during pregnancy. You can get that on our website if you're interested, but we also cover all of these things for kids and for breastfeeding moms in our new book, the plant-based baby and toddler. And we have a little tear out supplement sheet that you can fill in the blanks to really just like make it as basic as possible, because that's what you need. I think, I think, especially as a new mom with your brain, just completely fried all the time from lack of sleep and all the hormones surging through your body. You know, you want it basic. You're like, tell me what supplement to buy. Tell me when to take it. Let's keep it easy. Well, and then being a busy mom, how do you cook this way? How do you make sure that one, your kid, like, how do you cook things that your kids will actually eat? How do you make <laughs> sure you are getting fed the correct things? Cause I mean, as a busy mom, like we tend to just want to grab and go, or we eat the leftovers of what our kids are, you know, have, or we're all over the place. So yeah. how, like, it's hard enough to plan any sort of like meal plan, whether it's omnivore or, you know, plant based, how do you manage that at your house? Well, I will say I'm not perfect all the time. So I'm doing all those things that you said, eating my kids food, (laughs) grabbing food from the, from the cabinet and eating on the go. But most of the time I try to try to maintain certain guidelines that, that help me really feed myself and my kids a nutritious diet. One of them is that I, I use a plate model. And so we actually created something called the PB3 plate to guide meal planning and recipes. And it really just breaks down the plate into three key sections that you want to meet for every meal, ideally, and at least two or three of these with every snack that's fruits and vegetables, grains and starches and legumes, nuts, and seeds. And then we've got a little area in the middle for fat. And you can download this for free on our website. And basically, if you make sure that you've got something from each of those categories on your plate, you're likely to meet all of your nutrient needs. So it doesn't have to be super involved. Base, I have it hanging on my fridge and let's say I'm planning my son's meal and I go to the fridge and he's like, mommy, I want bread. And I'm like, all right, you can have some bread. So that goes in our grains and starches category. Now, what do I need to add to this plate to make it a complete meal? And that's where I'll go, okay. So I could either add some peanut butter. I could add some hummus. That'll get our legumes category. And then I'm going to add some sort of fruit and vegetable. So I try to take all of the guesswork out of meal planning that way. If we're talking about me and how I prevent from, from snacking all day, 
I would say the main tip for that is planning ahead and making sure you have healthy snacks on hand. And I know that's a little bit easier, easier said than done, but I try to do my grocery shopping once a week. Sometimes I'll do it online if I don't have enough time. And then the second the food gets here, I'll try to do some basic meal prep with a few things to make sure that I have healthy food on hand for me and my kids. So whether that be chopping up some carrots and bell peppers so that I have those to snack on with some hummus, whether it be quickly whipping up a tofu yogurt for myself or my, my kids to eat. That takes like all of five minutes. It's kind of planning ahead. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. So, so I'm I hearing just, all of, I was going to say, I'm hearing <laughs> all these things like cut up carrots and bell peppers and tofu yogurt. <laughs> like, now, like, let's reverse back. Did your son, when he was like little, did you do this? So he just got used to that palate. Like, how do we convert over? Like, whereas my three-year-old wants like animal crackers, but I'd love for her to eat a bell pepper. Was it this thing that you started early? How did you yeah. get them to eat all of these things? Well, okay. So First of all, my son actually doesn't eat bell peppers. That's me eating those. (laughs) Don't worry. You're not alone. Picky eating is so, 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 so common. My son, some things he'll eat that you'll probably say, wow, oh, he eats hummus. You know, that that's amazing. But you know, there's most vegetables he won't eat. So it's, there's a couple of things here. First, I just want to start off by saying picky eating is so normal between the ages of two and six is usually how long it lasts. You're like, oh my God, I have like three more years of this. Are you serious? Unfortunately, yeah, but you're not alone. It's so common. If your kid doesn't eat vegetables, like you're in the majority, you're not doing anything wrong. They are biologically programmed to not like vegetables. An interesting fact is that our taste buds from the minute we're born, they're programmed to like sweet foods. And that's really intended for survival. So that when babies taste breast milk, they like that sweet taste. When we used to find fruit out in nature, when we were cavemen, we knew fruit was going to be a good safe source of nutrition. We're programmed not to like the bitter flavor of vegetables because bitter flavors occurred in poisonous plants. And so when your baby's crawling around the cave, if he sticks a poisonous plant in your mouth, you want him to spit it out. And that's really what, what the research believes is, is the basis of these, of these taste preferences. So we do, we have to teach our kids from a very early age to start liking these less desirable flavors. And that's what, that's what I did. It doesn't just because you do it though, doesn't mean that your kids all of a sudden going to love vegetables, but it's going to increase the likelihood. So from about four to seven or seven, nine months, that, that period, right. When you're about to start solid introduction, that's considered a window of opportunity for flavor development. And that's when you really want to focus on trying to provide your baby with as wide of a range of flavors as possible, and specifically those less desirable flavors, those bitter, grassy, earthy, vegetable-like flavors. And most kids are very receptive at, at this time. A lot of babies will, will eat these foods regularly. But then again, it is very common around between the first and second year that all of a sudden a switch flips then they won't eat them anymore. You may have had the best eater and all of a sudden they won't eat them anymore. So that's, that's completely normal, but it's important to continue working on them. So we talk in our book a lot about exposure. Exposure is, is key. So making sure that even if she only wants the animal crackers, she's still seeing those carrots. She's still seeing that broccoli. She's still seeing these other foods and it's being provided to her in, in a way that removes pressure. So even though I know my son is not going to eat broccoli, 
He he's eaten it once in the past year, probably willingly. It's still on his plate. Every night that we have it, it's on his plate. So he sees it. He understands that it's a part of the family's diet. Now, early on in the, in the taste development stage, when you're introducing solids, even then they might, they might initially reject food and it can take up to 10 times, 10, 15 times of seeing, of tasting this food before they'll regularly eat it. So we take that science and we carry it over into toddlerhood and we say, we're still going to expose them. They may not eat it, but we're going to put it there. And one day maybe when they're six, they'll start eating it. Okay. So, <laughs> so I might I mean, have a chance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the point is you can't make your kids eat anything that they, that they don't want. And really, if you try to, it's going to have the reverse effect. So again, the science shows that kids who are, when you try to force them to eat something, they eat less of it. So we, we really want to set them up for, for lifelong success, because while you might be able to say, eat this carrot now, or you're not getting dessert, eat this carrot now, or you're not going to get to watch your favorite show later. That may work immediately to get a carrot in their, in their belly that night, but long-term they're going to hate carrots and they're not going to eat carrots when you're not around. And that's not the, that's not the goal. Something I will tell parents on the bright side is that while you're working to get them to eat it themselves you can still provide them that nutrition in more creative ways. So I will blend carrots and bell peppers into pasta sauce, for example, so that when we're having spaghetti, they're still getting some of those nutrients. I will finely dice broccoli and I will stir it into his macaroni. So he's getting it that way. I will chop up bell peppers very tiny and I'll put them in our quesadillas. The key with all of that is that we're not hiding them though. So it sounds like we're hiding them, but we're not hiding them. When my son asks what's in this quesadilla, I say, that's bell peppers. What's in my macaroni, that's broccoli. So you're not losing the trust that they have in you, that you're providing them with safe food. If you, if you try to hide it, then eventually as they get older, they're going to learn and they're not going to trust you. And that trust relationship is really key to feeding kids. Yeah. So kind of a two-pronged approach. You keep providing the food and it's like natural state, like actual pieces of broccoli, hoping that they'll get to eating it themselves. And then you also get that broccoli in however yeah. you can. What would be then your favorite go-to recipe that you make for your kids? Ooh, probably quesadillas. We do a lot. Do you use I, real and- cheese or not real cheese? I, I do both. Yeah. So like I said, I'm predominantly plant-based. Sometimes we use real cheese. A lot of the time we actually use a cashew based cream cheese and like just regular refried beans that are just basically mashed up beans. Those two things are super sticky. So they just stick the quesadilla together. You really don't need cheese to hold it together. And that's one where I can always add some finely diced spinach, some finely diced bell peppers. I know he's getting his legumes. He's getting his grains and starches from the tortilla and he's getting his vegetables and he loves that meal. So it's my favorite. It's one of my favorites too, because it's quick. It's easy. Meets all the nutrient needs. Everybody's happy on quesadilla night. <laughs> well, I love that. Well, one I was gonna say one last topic that I want to cover before we wrap it up was your most popular video right now on your YouTube is your water fast that you did. Oh yes, it's the three day water fast, and I'm very curious about that because one for moms, you know, we're like, what fasting and having kids? <laughs> like, I'm not really sure, you know, why I would do that or if I could even do that. Why did you do it? And do you recommend as a busy mom that you try it too? 
All right. So first of all, I actually had someone who wrote me the other day and was like, I follow you on plant-based juniors. I love your nutrition advice for kids and, and moms and pregnant women. And then I was looking for more information about you. And I landed on this water fast video and I just like completely blew my mind and changed what I thought about who you are and what you're about. She's like, that sounded really restrictive. Like, can you explain it to me? And, you know, some people might've taken offense to that. And I, but I understand where she's coming from because especially I talked about intuitive eating earlier, water fasting to some sounds like that's some crazy like fat or like, yeah. And you talk about that. That's restrictive. That seems like everything that you're against. Well, let me back it up. During my dietetic program, I spent some time working in cancer research with a leading researcher. He runs the Longevity Institute at USC called Dr. Longo. His name is Dr. Walter Longo, and he is one of the leading researchers worldwide in fasting. There's very, very, very strong evidence that fasting in whatever form that you do it in has the potential to not only reduce and potentially even treat many chronic diseases, but also extend the lifespan. There's solid research in animals and there's emerging research in humans. And I very, very passionate about it. And so before I became a mom, that's what I was, that's what I was working on. That's what I was interested in. Fast forward to becoming a mom, trying to maintain a supply while you're breastfeeding, trying to simply just get nutritious foods in your body at all. It's a completely different world. I, I did this three-day water fast. Uh, I think my son was probably about a year and a half at, at the time no plans to get pregnant again at that time, uh, or pregnancy was, was a ways away. And I did it because I, again, I feel very strongly about the health benefits of fasting and I have a family history of cancer and I, it's, it's a practice that I want to incorporate in my life when it makes sense. As long as I'm at a time in my life, when it's safe for me to do it, I'd like to do it once a year because I think the research is strong enough to show that it has those benefits that I just listed, those disease prevention benefits, those longevity benefits. And I think some forms of fasting, as long as they're done appropriately, as long as they're done in the least restrictive way possible, that they are a good tool in your tool belt for, for longevity. So you're saying three days once a year is like, good. Like you could do that. I think I could person. it's something that I can commit to and that I, that I will, would like to do. I would never do it while breastfeeding. I would never do it while pregnant. God, I hope that's obvious. (laughs) Yeah. Disclaimer here. (laughs) Disclaimer. Like I would never, I would never do it during those stages of my life. And I probably wouldn't do it if I didn't feel like I was in the mental space to do it. Like if I, if I'm really stressed taking care of the kids, like, I don't know when I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again when I feel like my life is in a place where I can, where I can handle that. Cause it is challenging to commit to that when you are very busy and very tired and very stressed with, with children. But I will say, I think it's worth it. So at I would never, and one more thing I want to say about it, and you can learn this if you watch my video, is that it is not about weight loss. And so if you want to do it for weight loss, like throw it out, get that idea out of your mind. I do not support fasting for weight loss. I do not think it is the most sustainable, safe option for you. There are much better ways to lose weight than fasting. If you are concerned about your health, if you want to do something to potentially benefit your longevity and that's your focus, I think you're going to, you're going to be a lot more successful in, in trying it. And it's, it, 
the benefits will actually match up with why you're doing it. A couple of questions, because I'm actually <laughs> curious a lot about fasting and I really wanted to try one. My husband does it. One, can you drink like lemon water or are you just supposed to drink water with any sort of like sodium electrolyte? Like, are you allowed to yeah. drink, say like warm salt water with lemon in it? That should be okay. The thing is the, so now we're getting into the nitty gritty, like the question of whether or not lemon is, is acceptable. You know, people ask about coffee. Can I have coffee? Coffee, You know, these are all questions that we actually don't have the answer to. There's never been a randomized controlled trial comparing like fasting with coffee versus fasting without coffee and seeing if it changes like the metabolic outcomes. Uh, Same with lemon juice. What we do know is that pretty much any amount of calories over about five calories will so-called break your fast. And that's why some people say that having a little bit of coffee with nothing in it is fine. It's not breaking your fast. Some people will say it goes through your digestive system. So it's awakening your digestive system. It's awakening the other parts of the body that are all in, all work in conjunction with your digestive system. So potentially it's breaking your fast. It's, it's kind of like, I, it's the least of your problems. I think if you want to fast, but you can't do it without the coffee, I would rather you do it with the coffee than not do it at all. Or I'd rather you do it with the lemon water than not do it at all. We don't really know the answers to those, those tiny questions. And we don't know the answers to a lot of big, bigger questions about fasting. Like how long exactly does it take for a human to get into, to kickstart autophagy? Those are things that we don't know, but we do know that any kind of fasting is beneficial in some regard. How did you feel after? I felt really good. I, my brain felt really clear. Yeah. I I just felt, I felt energized. I felt really good. I thought, I actually thought I was going to have much, much greater withdrawals from the coffee because I am such a coffee addict, (laughs) but I had a headache like the first day and then it went away. I was okay. And, and surprisingly I wasn't as hungry as I thought I was going to be. So I've done what's called a fasting mimicking diet. I tried that prior to doing this, I think a year or so before. And that's a, that's a plan that was actually formulated by that researcher that I mentioned, Dr. Walter Longo. It's, it's intended to help people who are interested in the benefits of fasting, but aren't ready to like take the plunge into not eating food at all. This is a plan where you eat these like soup packets and bars and things throughout the day to make you feel like you're eating, but it's really only got about, I think 500 or 600 calories. And the way it's been formulated is that it's intended to not trigger the growth pathways in your body that are triggered when you eat food. And it's, and what the early research that they've done on it has shown is that it does have many of the same metabolic effects of fasting, whether or not it's better than water fasting, it has not been tested about. I would guess that it's not as, as powerful as a water fast would be, but I did that. I did that first. And that's my long-winded way of saying, I actually was hungrier during that five-day fasting mimicking diet when I was actually getting calories than I was during my three-day water fast. I feel like it's a tease. It's like, here's mm-hmm. a little bit. Oh, but just kidding. You can't have anything. And so yeah, I feel like your, your body like, just like, up. yeah, <laughs> like I'm getting oh. food again. And then all of a sudden you're like, psych. <laughs> right. Well, I love that, that you mentioned, like someone made a comment about this. Cause I was also like, wait, what? Like, I thought she talks about all of this, like balance stuff. And then this, but like, it makes so much sense. And like the longevity and they're two different outcomes that you want. Like, you know, exactly. you're not saying to do fasting to lose weight or anything. It's more for cell regeneration and longevity. So yeah. And I think that's kind of the, like what you're saying, it's that's, that's basically what frames my perspective of everything in nutrition. Like 
it, the what the reasons behind why you're doing something are really going to drive, I think, whether or not you're going to be successful in it. So I follow a predominantly plant-based diet for longevity, also because I care about animals and the environment and, and not for weight loss. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. And anytime you get into something, hoping to lose weight, I think it's a recipe for disaster from the beginning. Yeah. Well, on that note, I wanted to wrap it up <laughs> with my final question, which is what is your mom's superpower that you gained once you became a mom that helps you in either life or business? I'd like to say, and my husband might say this is not correct at all, is being a little bit slower to anger. <laughs> I think or I patience, have, I guess. Okay, yeah, like I think I have the tendency to be a bit of a hothead. And with kids, you quickly learn that getting really angry is not the way to approach any situation. Many kids, it fuels them. They either get angrier than you got or they want it. You know, my son, my son wants to get a reaction out of me. So the calmer I can be in the heat of a, of the moment, the more successful I'm going to be. And that's, and that proves true across all aspects of my life. I get an email from someone and I don't like it. And my first, my first reaction is like, just to jot off a nasty response. And then I'm like, whoo, bring it down. It's like, why don't you consider why they wrote that? Like, let's, let's, let's back it up a little bit. And hundred percent of the time, I'm always glad that I, that I took a minute to like cool down and, and think, think it through. <laughs> I love that. Well, where can we find you online? And when is your book coming out? Our book comes out on May 18th, but it's available for pre-sale right now on all major e-tailers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, et cetera. And actually, if you buy it right now during the pre-order period, you will also get our free guide with five veggie centric recipes. So I was talking about those recipes where you're guaranteed to get your kid to eat a veggie, even if they normally won't eat veggies. That's those five recipes. And it also includes a three pages of discount codes for all of our favorite baby, baby products, baby feeding products. And there's like, if you only bought the things we suggested, I think you'd save almost $300 on things that you're probably going to buy anyway. So grab it during the pre-sale period. And you can find me at plantbasedjuniors.com, plantbased, at plantbasedjuniors on social media, and then whitneyerd.com and whitneyerd on social media. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Stephanie. It was so good to see you. I know. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time.